Stony Island. I was just on Stony Island. I was in Chicago a couple days ago. This is Open Mike Eagle, by the way. I should tell you my name before I tell you places that I have been. I am Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to Secret Skin. Season 2, Episode 2. I stumble because the first season of uh, this podcast is about 58 episodes. And this one's only going to be about 16. Maybe. I call it a season, so I give myself a natural out that was the uh the problem with doing a podcast before um i had a very small group of people supporting making it happen including the booking and the editing and all of that and they did a great job but uh trying to find a guest write an interview record and upload every week it's quite the grind also considering i have an entire music career in which i also do too much too much for uh my station i don't know how do you say that? I was just trying to put a finer point on it. Anyway, thanks to everybody who tuned in last week for the talk with Dan Harmon, which I felt was uh, emotionally um, uh, satisfying, rewarding for me. I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, if you listen to it and you enjoyed it and you're checking this one out, even um, rate and review us. It helps. It helps the robots. It helps the robots love us. The robots never loved us. So rate and review, like and subscribe. All of this stuff is going to be on YouTube as well on the Stony Island Audio YouTube page. This is Stony Island Audio, by the way, the podcast network that I administer. Where we got shows like Dad Bob, Rap Pod, Super Duty, Tough Work, Fatherhoods, Creativity and Captivity, The Questions, Hip Hop, Trivia, the Raw Report with Dice Raw. A bunch of shows. I'm sure I'm leaving something out. I'm sorry if I upset anyone. Anyway, this episode is an interview with the one and only Billy Woods. I've known Billy Woods for a long time. Me and Billy Woods met in like 2011 or something like that. Um, he's amazing. I've always thought he was amazing. He is killing it right now. Him and his... Uh, record label Backwoods Entertainment. We had this conversation a little bit ago and he talks about a new Elucid project. That Elucid project is out right now. It's called I Told Bessie and it's super duper dope. A beats by a child actor, alchemist. Uh, I think Earl Sweatshirt's got a beat on there. It's really dope. You should go listen to it. Um, but in this talk, me and Woods we talk about life. Woods, Woods is a very interesting character. Covers his face in all his photos and his videos. He won't nobody. He don't. He don't want nobody to see his face. Talk to him about that. Some. This is a real cool guy. And usually people that hide their faces are not the coolest guys. So we talked about that. Um, talked about him linking up with the Alchemist and working with him. Talked about his collaborations with the Lucid under the name Armand Hammer. Um, just had a good old conversation. He's a great guy. He's from New York. And I'm going to be in New York. Segway. July 13th at Elsewhere on a rooftop in Brooklyn. It's me, Fatboy Sharif. It's another dope, dope rapper on the East Coast on the come up. Excited about that. I'm also going on tour with AJJ, the band. We're doing Phoenix and Albuquerque, and Tulsa and Little Rock, Memphis and St. Louis, Indianapolis, Chicago, Minneapolis and Omaha. 
all that's at the end of this month into next month. So it's coming up real soon. Buy tickets uh, at those cities. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a secret scan, man. Thank y'all for jumping back and messing with me, having these experimental conversations with folks. Um, the T-shirt we put on sale, sold out. What? What you mean? Sorry, I shouldn't put it that way. Yeah, you shouldn't. Okay, I was just trying to say it did good. I know it did good. Of course it did good. It's me. It's All right. me. Okay. It's okay. I'm going to okay. do good. Right. Okay? I'm going to do good. You know that by now. God. Okay. All right. And that's what I get for invoking the name T-shirt. That's T-shirt right. is always going to... Don't be calling my name unless you want me to speak. I should know this by now, but I don't. Anyway, Fool. I'm Open Mike Eagle, the human that hosts this podcast. What that supposed to mean? This is Secret Skin, Billy Woods. Check it out. Holler back. Who says holler back? Boomer. How you been, dude? What's cracking with you? What's your world like right now? Busy. I figured. You're always busy, and I know you're always busy, but somehow you're always even busier than I know. Now, I don't know if that's true, but definitely the last, uh, the last little whatever, just, you know, trying to get some things done with haram now that we're vaccinated able to move around a little bit more trying to get things done with haram trying to get other projects queued up working on this elusive next project this man right here dove has something happening so different pots cooking and then you know obviously still a lot to do with haram and then some of my own personal projects inside and outside of music or whatever so been a little busy do you foresee it Getting busier, do you foresee it staying as busy as it is now? Because I know you've been at this for a while, and it seems like, you know, in the last few years, even leading up to this moment, the buzz has been increasing, the, the traction's been increasing. Do you see it continuing to go in the same direction? One would hope, but I just try to stay focused on the tasks at hand, you know, and then have a, have, have a, a wider lens on things, but a lot of times, in the moment, I'm just like, what are the tasks at hand? And then, you know, you're taking a wider stance of how is this going to advance whatever agendas or things I'm trying to do. But a lot of times it's just like, what are we going to do through the next, the rest of this year? And how is that going to work? And navigating a lot of the, not only artist stuff, but some of the things as a label that you end up having to deal with. This vinyl shortage or whatever, you know, how is that going to work? Artists that then, you know, you have to rethink about how and when you're going to release their albums and whether or not it will involve vinyl. But yeah, as far as do I think, do I see it getting busier? I don't know. I guess it depends how successful maybe some of the outside of music things are. Hopefully we'll at least continue to push forward with the music in ways that are interesting and draw attention. But I always assume it could all be gone tomorrow, you know? Right. How big do you want Backwoods to get? Oh, man. It's funny. That's a good question because uh, it was not a question I ever thought I would have to think about answering. <laughs> so recently? Yeah, a little bit, you know, when we did. But again, there are an anomalies here that are hard to account exactly for. Like you do a record with Alchemist, servicing that record is a different level. Are we going to do more records with somebody like Alchemist? You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. So it's like, it's hard to say. But definitely the infrastructure of the label was pushed close to its breaking point doing that, doing the Alchemist record and the More Mother record next to each other. 
Um, and we were kind of forced into that by some contractual obligations of different parties that meant things had to happen the way they happened. So just from an aspect of like my business partner who handles the mailing and, um, and our storage and, and all of that, uh, he had a rough few months there. That was a lot of records. That was like 5,000, 5,500 records or whatever. And that's not including other stuff that might have sold in that time period, but just selling those records. But yeah, I don't know if we're going to be working with artists of that size all the time. You know what I mean? And I and it's not restricted to that because we feel the same level of happiness about things like getting Fielded's record out there and um and having it recoup in a relatively short period of time, or um or the response to the Shrapnel record and what those guys are building, um or the fact that like Shit Don't Rhyme No More was an old Elucid record and we were able to grab that, give it to Willie Green to remaster it and put it on vinyl. Who's gonna save the babies from all the caging? The truth for staging. Where's your Peace after the revolution. Inhale deeply, bless you. Endless summer taking refuge. You're a vortex resurrector. You just be knowing, and I be OPE. And stay a little later, hey love. Kissing constellations, way up, way up, way up, way up. And even though we had a little bit of a... <laughs> We had a little bit of a funny issue happen with the release too. As far as our DSPs, there was some confusion with some some things, and uh, the fact that that still came out and ended and ended up being something where we moved. It wasn't like some huge profit generator. I'm really proud about that. You know, I feel really strongly about the artists that we've homegrown, so to speak. You're part of a lineage, business and indie wise, that goes back a ways, and I'm not sure everybody you know knows that like where it starts and let's hope they don't mike <laughs> well why, why 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 you hope they don't let's hope they don't man why you hope they don't sometimes you gotta dig up too many skeletons you go dig it all the, you go dig it all the way through i wanted to make sure we had a conversation relatively soon after the last time we saw each other because when we were chilling where we were chilling and we were talking. We were chilling where we were chilling. That's for sure. That's true. We were chilling hard where the chilling was happening. Elucid's margaritas were not the best I've ever had, but they were definitely <laughs> strong. I meant to have more than I had, but I I had stuff before I even got there. So I didn't get to partake as much as I would like. But me and you had a conversation about indie interviews. Part of that conversation was sparked from the What It Happened Was podcast and you had some pretty strong feelings about like observations. Well, okay, observations that works for for those listening. As much as you would want to share of those observations, I'd I'd love to dig into some of that because I think it's I think it's really interesting. Like it's been rattling around in my mind a lot since we had that conversation. So that's one of the things I definitely wanted to touch on. Yeah, I mean, I think what we had talked about was I had just said how uh, I guess the simplest way I could boil it down is this interesting. Um, in our realm and in sort of the indie underground music realm. And I don't want this to be taken mistaken as me saying people like soft pedal interviews or don't ask interesting or challenging questions. It's just there's certain a way that the music is approached and that a lot of times the people who interview you might be your peers or friends. I guess what it is when I think about it is it's one of two things. You either get interviewed by somebody who's outside of the industry and they're really coming at you to talk to you about the artistry of what you're doing and your history of you know 
But from that perspective of somebody who's approaching it as a listener and as a critic and, and as somebody who's looking at art like that, whatever, or maybe as a fan, any of those levels or some combination of all of them. Or sometimes you're interviewed by people like when you interview me, you obviously, this is one of the things you do, but we have a relationship that goes back. You're inside of the industry. There's things that you and I, you're inside of not only the industry, but the scene as an artist. So there's lots of things that you and I might know about people in common or situations that happened or whatever the case may be that wouldn't necessarily be even known to the other person to know whether to ask a question about it. And they're not really thinking like that. And I, I guess I was just observing, you know, sometimes I, I watch, should I say watch or should I say I, I absorb hip hop related content that kind of flows downhill from various sources, you know, on a more mainstream level, all the way from somebody as ridiculous as DJ Vlad, who nonetheless is an efficient interviewer in how he sets things up. That's one of the things he has going for him. Because sometimes people don't li like somebody, so they overlook what makes the person successful. And it's like, you can go watch a DJ Vlad interview, and that it's edited. It gets to the points. He asks the questions that his audience wants to hear about, no matter how trifling they might be, <laughs> you know? And so, okay, so you, somebody like that, somebody like Queens Flip, I don't know who you know, if you know who that is, but he has I a, don't know who that is. A, a, a podcast that kind of moves around hip hop and street shit in New York City more than anywhere else. But um, he has a footprint in that game on YouTube and as a podcaster and to other, you know, other random, random things. And, uh, there's a certain way that like, if you're, if you go listen to those types of interviews or follow those types of media, there's certain things that it's like, or drink champs with Nori and Nori, I put as somebody who's kind of like an insider and uh, you know, he, he knows the answers to some of the questions he's asking. You know what I mean? If you go on drink champs with Nori or whatever, uh, there's a certain extent to which if there's some question about oh, you had beef with this person or that person. They're probably going to ask you about it. Nori's not going to press you because he's not there to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But you would need to go and be prepared that they're going to be like, if Ja Rule goes on there, 50 Cent's going to get brought up. You know what I mean? And maybe lesser things than 50 Cent, you know, might be brought up or whatever. Like little petty things. That's just the way that you would be prepared for that to happen, even though they wouldn't necessarily press you. Other situations, they might press you more. And I was just saying how in underground hip hop, a lot of times, there's a lot of stuff that happens or goes on and um, either people don't know about it or the people who know never talk about it. And so there is a level on which there's a lot of things that are just left unsaid. Or And sometimes it's interesting to me because there's things, and listen, I feel like even talking about this, I'm not trying to have people come and now start asking me these questions, obviously. Because some of them are things that you don't want to talk about. You know what I mean? And so it's nice that nobody asks you about them. But it's just interesting because there's things that people just wouldn't ask you about or, or wouldn't really be delved into in a certain way. And people know about, especially when people are inside, people know about certain things. And there's even things that as, you know, as fans, I'm a fan of the music. And so sometimes uh -huh. there's things where I'm like, man, I want somebody to ask, I want somebody to ask him what happened why this label and this artist parted ways, but nobody really asked that question. Yeah, I was getting a sense when we had that conversation that you wanted to hear more, more of that kind of questioning about those kind of issues in the indie space. 
Well, because I'm an inquisitive person, so I want to know the answers. Do I want to be asked those questions? No, that's a different question. You know what I mean? I don't want to go on DJ Vlad. I watch it at times, and it's the same sort of thing. There's certain things where it's like, oh, something definitely happened between these this label and this artist or these artists or this platform and this person who used to participate with it. And I want to know what happened. But I also, at the same time, as an artist who and a person who operates in this realm, it is also nice sometimes knowing, sometimes I'm wondering if somebody's going to ask certain questions and they just don't. And I'm relieved, you know, because then you don't have to worry about it. So you're not, you're not necessarily wanting to talk about some stuff and haven't been given the opportunity necessarily. No, no, not really. Most of them are things that I, I, I kind of would rather... And I think that's the whole situation. I, I guess I was talking about more about how I think it's interesting that that is the situation, you know? Um, like, most of the time, I don't get questions where I really get uncomfortable. And that's cool, because who wants to be uncomfortable? <laughs> but it is noteworthy. It is noteworthy, because there will be stuff where it's like, everybody knows, but nobody's ever said a word about it. Nobody's written about it. Nobody says anything. Or things that are mysteries that nobody presses for answers on. I think a lot of times stuff does get written about, but if it's not written about by the right people, if it's not written about on the right website, or even if it's not written about in, a, in an effective way, like stuff can fly under the radar too. I think there are people who attempt that sort of like journalism, but I guess I wonder, you know, if it's, if it's not more trouble than it's worth in some sense, because we are dealing with people who don't have like the biggest audiences usually, you know? So is it worth trying to figure out the mysteries or, or, or dig in, dig up the skeletons? If honestly, there's not, a, there may not be a lot of people that want to dig into that side of things. Yeah. I mean, really a lot of the places where you probably would find some of these things is like on Reddit. Do you go on Reddit a lot? Not really, you know, I'm old, man. I don't really, I don't really know how it works. So, what will happen is somebody will send me a link to something oh, okay. occasionally, or direct message to social medias that then gets sent to me, of like, oh, this person on Instagram sent a link to this thing on Reddit, or somebody might point out to me. Not really, but I feel like that's where once or twice there were things where somebody hit up the social media or the lay or some type of way and was like did this lyric mean this about this person and sometimes those things came from like a reddit conversation or something are they ever correct in your case um yeah there have definitely been people who and it's even interesting to see their conversations because it'll be like man we just want everybody to get along hopefully it was all sorted out you know even amongst the fans i think there's a sense of protecting people don't want to really amplify Oh, I think this dude, this this person on this song. But sometimes then you're around people and that's when you find out. And because most of these things never get talked about or whatever, I think that it makes it easier for the general public to not usually know what's going on. Since you're a person who uh you have boundaries between you and people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like as an artist, like you don't show your face, you you know, you you don't have a lot of personal information about yourself out there. And because of that, I think there's an opportunity, I could imagine anyway, for people to be projecting all sorts of shit on you sure. and on your lyrics. Because that, that's kind of what people do. Have you ever come across some shit that was just like horrifyingly 
off base in terms of somebody trying to say your lyric was about this or oh with lyrics yeah lyrics or with you as a person both lyrics sometimes it's unimaginable but sometimes i have to chalk it up to like reading comprehension and stuff like that is crazy because i'll be like why would you even think that would be a good line like the, it's so off you know <laughs> and what they're saying about it and i'm like damn man you, you totally missed the whole thing like you can't even go on genius for that you yeah, no. Nah, you you look at Genius, you'll be like, man, you, I suck, according to <laughs> these people. These references are terrible. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes people miss some of the nuance in the music and will say things that I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. It'll be like Marxist Leninist rapper Billy Woods. And it's like, no, that was the house that I grew up in. You know, that was the atmosphere that I grew up in. And luckily, I'm I'm I, I'm able to see the good end of all spectrums of that, and it influences my life. But I'm not just sitting here like talking about like 1970s era Marxist Leninism as some pinnacle of human achievement. It didn't get that much done at the end of the day, if we're just going to be honest. Um, and I think sometimes people will take their own sort of particular views and imprint them. Although obviously, like my music is. Uh, colonialism comes up a lot in my music because of my back lots of reasons my background where i grew up where both of my parents grew up both of my parents were born in colonial states that no longer exist hemispheres and worlds away from each other so all of those things weigh very heavily and weigh in on my music in a lot of ways my mother's a post-colonial critic my father actually was part of decolonizing a country and you know but I also make critiques of my critiques are not only extended to colonialism, but all the things that have come afterwards and all the things that came before, you know, I think sometimes because there are people who just, they're just being introduced. And I don't mean this in a condescending way, but sometimes there are people who are just being introduced to ideas of black revolution and right politics 101 type shit. Yeah. And so it's like, Oh, I'm really excited. And it's like, that's, that's like what I grew up with. And hopefully my music is more nuanced than and and, and is and is delivering more critique even of those analyses because nobody needs me to sit here and repeat what just say the same thing that somebody those those critiques need to be critiqued in and of themselves also. I don't know. I just think my music is more complex sometimes than people give it credit for it. So people will take their own supposition and just put it on it when I'm like Oh, that's funny because it's more than that. I think, like I said, they have a lot of opportunity to do that because you keep the facts of who you are to yourself. You keep it kind of vague. You know what I'm saying? You keep it vague on purpose. And one thing I'm fascinated by with you is, you know, you're a person I met and known for a long time. We've done songs. We've done shows. And you are like a very, like, gregarious social like you had hella personality like a real a real fucking people person you know what I'm yeah saying? yeah 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 and to me like that presents an interesting contradiction with how much you keep people away from you in terms of your artistry you know it's interesting to me i'm curious of like a definitive answer on why it is that you choose to do that mm, i think it's a few things Part of it is probably has to do with how I grew up. My mother is maybe the most private person I ever met in my life. And so there's a certain extent to where, like, people knowing all of your entire business is not really 
I don't like it makes me feel uncomfortable. Which is funny because I also like to know everybody else's business. I'm a very <laughs> inquisitive and nosy person, you know, like I'm not. My mother is a hermit, so it's kind of weird because I'm a very social person, like you said. My mother, the less that she has to deal with people, the happier that she really is. But at the same time, so I think part of that is just coming from that background and sometimes even in my personal life, I don't like to like tell everybody everything. Or like sometimes I'll have something happen professionally and people will be like, oh, I didn't know that you got this and this deal or something. Why didn't you call me and tell me? And I'm like, oh, it's not always like, I don't know. I'm not always, especially sometimes if I don't know how something's going to go or what's going on with it, I might just keep it to myself. I don't always think, oh, let me hit up everyone I know and be like, this great opportunity happened. Not that there's something wrong with that. I just am the type of person who might not. Or people will be like, yo, I just saw you got on social media, this thing's happening. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't I didn't really think about announcing because I knew once it was announced, then we'd like discuss it. And so I think some of it is my natural way of being. Some of it is that when I started doing this, I had some practical concerns, you know, a lifetime ago, two lifetimes ago. I was a young man. I, I had some practical concerns and I wanted to be able to speak freely and express my thoughts on things that could have had an effect on me at that time, both here and potentially overseas, and not say, oh, I'm not going to say this because then when I say that, it might be a problem next time I go there. Or, oh, I'm not going to say this and da-da-da-da-da because I could get myself in trouble with other things that have gone on or whatever. So I wanted that level of freedom that anonymity brings and especially knowing that there were different arenas in which that mattered i guess those would be the two main reasons and then they kind of fuse together to become like oh well a that's kind of how i like it and b that's kind of the persona that was developed in order to protect me from those things for practical reasons and now, even as some of those practical reasons have fallen away and are not as important, you know what I mean? It's already built up like that, so I'm, and I'm comfortable like that, so I just like... Do you think it's always going to be that way for you, as long as you're an artist? I hope so, yeah, 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 yeah. Once the game got revealed, shit got real. Radio <laughs> began me. My imposters scream they ill. Ah, that voice. So, you have your comfort in your anonymity, you're also in a space right now where you're gaining more exposure. Has that presented any challenges in like that exposure rubbing up against the anonymity? Uh, not really yet because, you know, there's a bunch of things. It's not that big. It's been a slow progression that then took a couple bigger jumps in recent years. Maybe like starting with paraffin and hiding places, bigger jumps than the brass and and haram records but uh partially we've been under covid so a lot of that took place when everybody's on their own and hidden away otherwise not really the one thing i would say now is now there have been more instances of people who maybe some maybe still know somebody because this is the thing it took so long for me to get to that whatever small level that i got to that a lot of the people who might have, you know, it wasn't like when I was young, 
and you're still around random people who now don't have much to do with your actual life, day-to-day life, um, but you went to college with, or you knew through this person, or you used to buy trees off them, or whatever the case, somebody you dated for five months when you were 23 or something. It, it wouldn't really stick with that person to be like, Billy, even if they knew that I was rapping back then, 15 years later, they see Billy Woods and it clicks nothing, you know what I mean? But some of those people, there are some instances of people who were doing music of some type, and maybe they knew I was doing music. And so because they did music like, hey, I, I play in an indie rock band, I went to college with this person or whatever. They still, they used to be roommates with somebody who used to make beats for me. And I used to do music with this guy. And so they stay in touch with that person who used to make beats with me. And so the person who used to make beats for me and now is a real estate agent, maybe one day they meet up to have drinks and he's like, oh, how's your new album going to the guy who plays in the indie rock band? Oh, it's going good. Hey, you remember who I used to make beats for? I actually just saw his album reviewed on Pitchfork. Dude in the indie rock band goes and sees it on Pitchfork and then is like, oh shit, I went to college with this person. And uh, so this example, for example, then that person talked to someone who wrote the article about me and was like, yo, I went to college with this person. Then the journalist hits me back and is like, yo, did you go to this college? Because I think I know somebody who knows you. So Whoa, one or two okay. little things like that have happened. Or somebody texting you out of the blue and being like, you just got booked for Tree Fort Festival. Congrats. And you like have to go look up what the phone number is from. Are you trying to figure it out from the area code? Who is this person? Yeah, but so you you have to be prepared probably for more of that to happen. I mean, Mike, you tell me, man. You, you, you're more famous than I'm ever going to be. And everybody knows what you look like, too. That's true. Yeah, I mean that the second part is true for sure. That that first part the jury's still out, but <laughs> I never made the choice to obscure any part of myself to people and I regret that all the time. Like I feel <laughs> I feel so ridiculously accessible to people that it it hurts sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Uh but that's the choice I made. Your face is also a good selling point. Honestly, like you have a very like you just have a face where somebody would be like, all right, I'm going to listen to more of what this person says. It's like serious, but not too serious. You know, you can laugh and also look serious. You don't look goofy. I try to destroy the photos where I smile too hard. You know what I'm saying? I try to try to get them expunged from the internet. Yeah, but then you probably still look like high school valedictorian more than anything. Probably. Bro, you know you know, I was I was a homecoming king in college. I mean, it makes total sense. Don't it? Don't it? Yeah, yeah. As as ridiculous as a fact as it seems, for some some weird ass reason, it makes sense. I still don't understand my own life, sir. So a lot of this shit still hits me weird too. Sometimes I look at a lucid and I'm like, listen to his music, and I'm like, in a different life, this guy is is a preacher mm-hmm, of a significant sure. mega church type situation. Absolutely, with big rings and a big Cadillac. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly what you mean. Oh, like, I see man. that. Dabbing his forehead at the <laughs> Oh, man. Making him fall out in the first row. Fall out. Give it a talk. So, I have my own idea how, how it all came together. But I'm also curious to hear, because I know you get asked this, y'all, you know, after Haram. Like, what is the story of you and Elusa linking up with, with Alchemist? Alchemist hit me up. Now, what I didn't know then is that 
Alchemist and Earl's sweatshirt are almost the same person, but not. It's a crazy, it's like a buddy cop movie where one guy, like Mel Gibson, and then, uh, well, nobody wants to be Mel Gibson, but old, older, older, younger cop, oh no, Tebe gets to be the African Will Smith or something. I don't know exactly <laughs> how it works, but those dudes hang out all the time, all the time. On some just best buddy shit, making music, smoking trees, laughing about shit, and putting each other on the music. So I guess Earl had given him my contact information, but the person who kind of got both of them into my music was actually, bizarrely, somebody that I knew from a totally different area of my life years ago. They never even knew that I was Billy Woods, and they're a very successful music executive and manager. And they started listening to my music. And so basically they moved out of New York City years and years ago, right? And they also hang out with Earl and Al a lot. And so when Al hits me up, he's like, yo, I got put onto your music by X person. And I'm like, wait, because he says X person's nickname, right? So I'm like, wait, what? Is that this person? And he's like, yeah, he's your biggest fan. That's crazy. And I'm like, what? Because I know this person from some non-music shit years ago, long time ago, and it's bizarre because I'd already started doing music at that point, but because me and this person knew each other through non-music reasons, even though I knew they were in the music business, it was no point even bringing, you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't really, I was never the type to be like, here's my demo. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Especially when you're talking about somebody who's doing things at a huge, huge level. So it's no need for you to come with your CDR. And so it was just a funny coincidence. So we got hyped off of that, off the bat, like, yo. And both of us are like, this dude is so solid. X person is such a cool dude, whatever, whatever. So then we were just building off of that and um, had a conversation. And he was like, yeah, at some point, uh, I'd be down to try to put together a plate. That's what Al says. Plate. What's a plate? A plate is a record. Like a, a dub project plate? of some sort. You know, getting a dinner plate together. Okay. Okay, Alfredo. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is that he's going to send you a briefcase. Wow. Okay. So you enter in a world here. Yeah, that's his, those are his beat folders. He sent it a briefcase. So he was like, yo, if you want to start putting together a plate, I can get a briefcase together and send it to you. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. And I'm yeah. like, yo, but if we do something, we should do Arm & Hammer. Why would you say that versus going at it on your own? First of all, because I honestly I believe in going to the dance with the people to dancing with the people who you came in to the party with, you know? I love that a lot. Period. I love that a lot. That's one. Two, Elucid is an incredible artist. We made great work together, and I had faith that what we would do with Al would be great. Dreams is dangerous, linger like angel dust. Ain't no angels hovering, ain't no saving us, ain't no slaving us. You gonna need a bigger boat, you gonna need a smaller ocean, but here's some more rope. We're gonna play a game. We're going to the courts to play a game against a really good team. Let me bring the best guy I know so that we win the game, man. <laughs> Don't get crazy and think it has to be about you. Let's win the game. So it's like, boom, we should do that. And plus, I was like, man. That would be that would be whack. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like it was natural to me. It would be whack to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do this record. Not that 
we don't do our own things all the time. It just seemed like the thing to do on so many levels. It was no felt like the right thing to do. Yeah. And then also it was time for an Arm and Hammer record, man. I felt like it was time for I had just done hiding places and terror management and it's like put a lot of work into building Arm and Hammer from something that people didn't really take seriously as a duo thing and to being like, wow, we're a group now that's put out. Yeah, I remember because that's when we collabed was when nobody was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I remember I remember the period of time when people would be like, you know, business partners and other people that you deal with would be like, oh, should we really be spending this effort on Arm & Hammer instead of the individual properties? And I'm like, Arm & Hammer is, Arm & Hammer is dope. We just have to, you gotta, you gotta invest. If you believe in it, then you invest and win or lose, you won't feel bad. And that's a wild notion to me anyway. Because a, a group is always going to have the potential to do better than an individual. Always. Like, every at the end of the day, all of this shit is team sports. And I don't know why people don't realize that. What we was doing, rocking as, like, Hellfire Club, had incredible potential. Like, way more potential than, like, us doing individual shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's wild for somebody not to be able to peep that. Well, because people just look at the bottom line and it's like, oh, race music right. is selling less than the other records. People are stupid as shit, man. It takes years for people to realize Billy Woods is in Arm & Hammer. Elucid is in Arm & Hammer. Years, years and years and years. I got a great story about one time we did a show. <laughs> not we. I did a show uh in idaho falls man hmm. yeah so i'm at a show <laughs> at idaho falls and i will say that we were decently compensated considering the type of hits we were taking on that tour um right. so that's part of why we were there and everybody was nice to us not really my favorite place in the world the general I could imagine idaho falls area but whatever, we go do this show. It's an odd show in an odd place, but um, everybody's nice. It's kind of a cool venue. Uh, we had a place we were supposed to stay afterwards, and it fell through. And so we're trying to figure out what to do. Mo Nichols is like, maybe we drive like 30 miles after the show. It's late. You know? Ooh, it's I like hate that. I hate morning. that. I hate that. Maybe we drive to this hotel and get a hotel, and you're like, damn, man, that sucks, especially because... We're not getting paid that much. And we thought that this was a place where we had a place to stay. So I'm back in the dressing room and I decided to change my shirt. Change my shirt because I had sweated on stage, whatever, whatever. And again, this is a this was a solo Billy Wood show. I changed my shirt and put on an Arm and Hammer shirt with the Arm and Hammer logo on it. A uh, dude who's running the venue that night sees the shirt and he's like, Where'd you get that? I'm like, What do you mean? I'm in a my group in this group it's like wait wait you're in arm and hammer wow i'm like yeah i'm in arm and hammer billy woods part of starts bugging out oh <laughs> shit da, 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 da. this is the same dude who before was giving us directions to where the closest hotel was he's like yo the venue is a really weird venue and it had all of these like pillow rooms almost it had lots of space He's like, yo, if you just want to stay in the venue, that's cool. Or you can come to my house. I love Arm & Hammer, blah, 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 wow. blah. And this is, Arm & Hammer's not even big. Had he, been, had he been at the show and, like, heard you said and all that? Like, Yeah, no. 
He was at the show. I mean, I assume I, I wasn't paying attention to him, and there were a lot of rooms, but my name was listed there, and that's when I was like, man. And so it saved us that night. We all stayed in this uh, this venue, had a big lounge, and it had an actual pillow room full of pillows. So we all stayed there comfortably, if somewhat scarily, that night and saved our money. You know, it was like four of us on the tour. And I was like, man, thank God I fucking put on this shirt. But it really let me know there are people who really aren't paying a lot of attention. You know what I mean? Even though they're a fan or something. So it took time to build up that brand and um, and just to keep working together and to do it. So to me, it was just a no-brainer of, yeah, let's get it. Tell me about the album cover to Haram. Just tell me anything you want to tell me about it. It's interesting because there's going to be a couple different versions of pressings of the album and ALC Records always does its own version of his albums, but the artwork is all coming from a cohesive source, but it's very different. People reacted really strongly to that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like y'all would have, you know, y'all had that thought out and wanted that. No, I mean, once I saw it, it was basically like looking at stuff. And once I saw it, Alex Richter took the photo. He's a good friend, fantastic photographer. Once I saw the image, I was like, all right, that's it. It just kind of did all the things. I felt like it had all the levels in there as well as I feel like an album called Haram shouldn't be like the first initial reaction shouldn't be to feel super comfortable. I like that. I like the discomfort. I liked how it looked visually. It's uh, What really bothered me was when people looked at it as a shock value thing. That's lame to me. I'm not really a shock value. Not that people shouldn't be, but that's not... That's not your... That's your not show. where my art works, and that's not how my brain works. Because to me, also, Dead Animals is not something that's like... I've never seen it or it has that much shock value to me. Maybe when I was five years old. No, seven years old, and we had this goat. My dad brought this goat back to the house in Harare. No, I was born here, but we went to Zimbabwe when I was a child. We brought this goat back. And, you know, my mother is from rural Jamaica, so we didn't really think about it, I think, at that time. Me and my sister are playing with this goat. My friends call the goat Little Henry, give him a name, go outside and feed him in the mornings. And when we get back from school, these people are not paying any attention. I guess, again, I guess because for them, the idea that we wouldn't have thought about the fact that this is food wouldn't have occurred to them because they had always been, they grew up in very rural settings where like they'd always seen animals being slaughtered and stuff. And although we ate meat and kept at, I don't know, we were little, you know, and one morning run outside, go around the back of the house, like behind the servants quarters, there was a big garden. They grew all these vegetables and uh, little Henry is just hanging eviscerated from a line split straight down the middle and then his entrails are also hanging in the sun and uh that was the beginning of my sister becoming a vegetarian wow that was the origin story of her her not messing with me yeah and i just didn't i just didn't eat goat for a long time which was a big deal for somebody with the jamaican side to their family people can't understand like not eating goat, and then eventually i, I let go of that but um i don't know at a very young age i was just around you know, even now, if we go to where my mother is from and my family's land in Jamaica, most of the time there's definitely meat that comes from the supermarkets or comes from town, but it's pretty far up the mountain, and lots of times you eat you eat stuff that's there. It's like 
there's a goat there, the goat gets slaughtered. There's a chicken there, there's people have pigs, and then one day the pig is gone. When I was a little kid, my grandfather kept pigs. There was a sow, and then the other pigs that raised sell some of them, eat some of them. So on a certain level, to me, it's not that shocking. But I did know that people would be shocked and disturbed by it. I also think there's something very painterly about the image with the red and the pink and the it's almost like one of the pigs is kind of smiling and its mm -hmm. teeth almost shining, almost like it has gold teeth. So it just worked on lots of levels. And then I thought about how it worked in terms of as a cover. It just seemed like the right. I like I like I like things that can be interpreted multiple ways. I'm a sucker for a great photograph. It's, it's funny you say painterly because you talk about painting houses on the project a couple of times. I had a gift. Hawaii's so potent, zoning off bomb rips. I painted houses all summer, they paid by the shift. My boss was an enterprising white kid. Eagle eyed everything you did. Shit gig, but I didn't quit. MJG and A ball spitting out the whip. Spliffs with Keith at the tip. That felt like you came from a very genuine part of your life. Like, what part of your life was that? I went out to the West Coast for the first time. I drove cross country actually with Alex Richter, the same man who photographed the cover. We drove cross country. We were still in school. We drove cross country uh, in the summer of 1999. And that was my first time going to the West Coast. I had one job working for uh, canvassing, environmental canvassing thing, mm -hmm. initiative in the summer. And that was brutal. Running up on people trying to get them to sign on to a petition or something? Going door to door, kind of. And that was my first exposure also to the sort of like, I was used to like rednecks where I was from, like suburban Washington, D.C., Silver Spring, Maryland. Just to hood shit, redneck behaviors, those things were readily identifiable to me. I hadn't yet been introduced to the sort of like West Coast, leave me alone, I'm armed. Not really a redneck per se, you know what I mean? But just like freedom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tread on me. Whatever that means to them that day. And they also would have the signs like gun in the house, you know, because rednecks down south, they love to be like, gun in the car. Please know that when you approach this house, I'm armed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like put that sign in front of your house. So that was weird because, yeah, I had to knock on a lot of doors. But, you know, pretty soon I was like, man, I hate that gig. And I was not doing well. Yeah, I was probably one of the only black men out there doing it. It was, it was not the best. And so anyway, then I took this other job that was at, this is back when you would like, it's crazy to think about, but like people have never seen that. But like you would get your jobs, you get like the local paper and look in the ads for a job. And I saw this thing looking for people to paint houses, paid cat or whatever, um, make your own hours. And so I was like, all right, cool. Called a dude. And um, it was literally like like a 19, 18 or 19 year old kid who just had like, uh, there was some sort of subcontracting company that he was doing to work through. It was some sort of program where you could start your own subcontractor to this bigger company. And um, so that's what he had basically done and was just looking for anyone who would be willing to put in some hours. And so it was kind of ridiculous. But yeah, we were painting mostly exteriors of houses in Seattle. Now, I mean, you get dropped off at a work site. He would just drive off most of the time. 
Oh, no, hell no. And it'll just be you dropped off at, like, some people's house, and now you're supposed to, like, and it would be, like, going up on crazy high ladders. And sometimes I was like, yo, I'm not doing that without somebody else at the site. Right. No way am I going up to paint the, like, eaves of a second floor of somebody's house. That was hard work. One thing I definitely want to get your insight on as we wrap up, and it's it's funny because, you know, you're talking about jobs you had and... Also, speaking of which, I know I, I saw an interview, or not an interview, I saw a review where somebody was, like, questioning if I, I actually did cut grass. That was my job. I started a grass cutting thing in in high school. My mm. mom was like, you got to get a job. I was like, man, I do not want to work at fast food. And whenever I applied at other jobs, like, you're the type of guy who they would hire at the movie theater. Probably. Did you ever have a movie theater job? No, I worked at a shoe store, and then okay. I worked, yeah, like so. I was, but I was working mostly in the in the stock room, and I did sales occasionally. But then What's, I what I shoe worked, store? It's called the Walking Company. They what sell type like, of? They sell like high end, somewhat stylish orthopedic shoes, but then they sold stuff like Echo boots too, and like this was your uh, high school gig, Birkenstocks, yeah. It was like my first job job where I had like tax forms and shit. You know what I'm saying? Did you work that all through high school or you had others? I did that for, was it one year or two years? But then after that, I started, my mom worked at a car lot. So I just started working there. What did you do there? Uh, They were instituting a computer into their sales <laughs> system. So I was taking all of the folders and putting them into a program. So I just sat and did that shit all day. Just okay. take, pick up a folder. Put the shit in the computer, pick up the next folder, repeat. And I would just listen to albums as I did that shit all afternoon. Okay. Yeah, when I was in high school, man, and for a lot of my life, I could never get, like, not the best, but, like, a good high school job. It was always, like, either I was going to have to, because everybody wants to apply at the movie theater. I would always apply at the movie theater. I'd apply at Foot Locker. Mm-hmm. whatever spots in the mall you know like maybe i'll get one of those and then you get some free shit you'd see some girls right it'd be like either fast food which is just gonna do you and if they see as soon as i came into a fast food place they were putting me in the back <laughs> you know what i mean which is like you can't even steal money back there or it was some type of manual labor or it was working so one of my high school jobs i worked at what was then people's pharmacy or maybe it just turned to cvs that was brutal man that was brutal they that was the first job i had where you had to punch in if you punched in a minute late on your come in they would dock you and they had this big bank of mirrored glass where the manager just sits up there watching the whole floor Ugh. and they'd just be like uh come up to whatever 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 and it was like you had to wear the apron with your name tag and then you had to if you ate lunch, the like employee room where you were allowed to be at to eat was just nothing but posters about stealing, basically. They had some oh corporate name for it, like stop loss or something. Internal loss or whatever. Loss prevention. Yeah, shit. loss yeah. prevention. And it was like cuffs around some wrists. Uh-huh. Loss prevention will be, you know what I mean? It's just the most inspiring environment. <laughs> you're, eating your, you're eating your fucking packed sandwich. Oh, man, that shit was brutal, man. And then uh, working in the stock room, though, I would go in the stock room and, like, open the thing of Famous Amos cookies and just be eating them down there, trying to Amazing. skate these dudes. That would it's feel all like about the, the little perks, man. That would feel like the biggest the biggest victory. You'd be like, yo. 
And that and stealing tobacco products. It was hard to steal money, but sometimes it was stealing backwards. And here you go. <laughs> but, but anyway, before I had that, to avoid those jobs, I started cutting grass. And I had a close friend, this kid from Ghana. His parents were from Ghana, and me and him just started cutting grass together. That was my first time. So like in Indian summer, like that was the, that was my first time like getting your own money and like that feeling of having your own money and then like watching it build up and it looks like your freedom, you know what I mean? Like, yo, once a, uh, it, was, it was weird. And then how that led and moved to other things, you know? I used to trick off my little check, man, because I worked in a mall. So every other Friday when we got paid, like, yeah, I get paid, but then I go straight to the music store. And then that's way, I spent way too much money, way too much money in coconuts to Sam Goody or whatever the hell it was in that place. Yeah, see, that's uh, what I'm saying. You got the jobs I wanted to, you had the right face to work at. They could have hired you at a Foot Locker. I probably could have got hired at Foot Locker, but like I said, it put me mostly yeah, in the back. If you did get hired at Foot Locker, you could have become an assistant manager at some point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I remember like them middle management people, like them kind of dudes, they loved me. They yeah. loved me, you know. Now, but that was, that always felt weird. Like I didn't want to be liked by them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, didn't, I wanted to be not trusted. And I used to rob them blind. I used to steal very expensive watches. Oh, I believe it. That's why I would be mad because it would be like, niggas would have jobs at the mall. I can't get a job at the mall. These niggas is taking all this. Girls come in and give their gir girls free shoes. And everybody's <laughs> like, yo, Ronald, Ronald got it. Yo, he works at Foot Locker at the, at, the, at the movie theater. It's like, yo, if you go to the movie theater, Darnell will get you in. Everybody went to the movies, got in, da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, he's just there, able to kick it to girls all day, mm -hmm. wander around the mall afterwards. It just seems like the best, man. It was good. It just wasn't good at stacking money, man. It was a, it was a terrible <laughs> place to get paid. A terrible place to get paid. I want to ask you one more thing, and then we're going to get out of here. Just from your unique position and things, and it's, and it's interesting because it leads from this conversation about jobs and like gigs and getting money and all the different lives you've had and to be at this place in the music industry, but it's in the indie rap part where for all of the acclaim that might come, it don't always come with a ton of money, especially compared to how it was, I think, when we both started first started poking our nose around this industry it was still a kind of CD-based economy, so there was a lot more money in it. And and I think as we've been in it, it's kind of gone down, down, down. Now we're in the streaming era, and it's just a lot different. It doesn't scale to our, our area the same as the CD economy did. But um, for somebody coming along right now, a younger artist wanting to get into the indie space, like what kind of advice would you give them if somebody was just trying to start right now? Man, if you were starting right now, it would really depend what sort of resources and attention you were starting with. Let's say they were starting with their money from their footlocker job and and attention they didn't know how to get at all. They don't even know about that part yet. They just want to make the kind of music they want to make. Let's they you know, they they want to put a record out on Backwoods at some point or something. First off, make the music and be busy making the music. Because you got to get that to the point where the music is ready to go and where it's good. The other thing I'd say is put more time, which people do, but, you know, put time into getting better as a live performer. 
because that will do a lot for you especially if your music starts to pop and you can kill it on your early tours which some people can't speaking for myself it's like you're just trying to get used to like performing and doing all of that and then you see people who have had sort of meteoric rises i remember lucid going on tour with jpeg mafia when i had only seen his name once or twice online and he said yo this guy's opening and he's crushing every show and the crowd is getting bigger and bigger to see him at every show i remember that tour i I wasn't on it either but i was hearing that story and seeing video clips yeah he was like the pressure i gotta come with it yeah. I was like, damn, by the end of the tour, JPEG Mafia was signed to a major label or whatever situation he has now, you know what I mean? So it's like being ready to do that because I do think that there are tour opportunities for indie artists now, sometimes that are more open. Or when I was starting, a lot of times it'd be like, oh, if you want to get on this upper tier indie artist tour, you literally had to pay them to be on a bus. Yeah, You had to pay them to be on a bus and so sometimes it would be like bum ass people on tours because they had to do they took that they took their footlocker money they stacked it for a few months and then they was able to go on tour yeah with the gym class heroes or no i don't know but <laughs> yeah i mean even even speaking about an act you know there was a point in time where it was like oh if i wanted to go you wanted to go on tour with like an ox you know hey you got a this amount of money to reserve your seat and then you just got to try to make your money back through merch sales and or accept yeah. that it's just going to be a loss. Same thing with like things like South by Southwest. You would go to South by knowing you were going to lose money. Absolutely. In the, in the ephemeral hope that the overall buzz and climate and everything would do something for you. And that didn't really happen ever in my experience. But the networking that would happen down there would be valuable enough to make the trip it it was valuable and it was valuable to see things writ large Mm -hmm. and to feel like i'm here right now right like here's everyone who's in it here's all the things that are happening we're here right now and then go to the danny brown showcase that night and be like all right i see the difference in what's happening here and then yeah maybe i see you in the crowd or whatever i mean it was also fun it no, it's, it's super fun, but it's it's it because that's what South by really is. It's the music industry spring break. Like all of the managers, all of the PR people, they just getting hammered and having a good time. Like that's they call it work and they write it all off, but they just kicking it, and that's really the spirit of the whole place, you know. But yeah, dude, me and you could talk forever. We're definitely gonna have to do this again at some point. I was laughing about that interview the other time with the with the weed chocolate. In your living room. Oh yeah, room. and and the and the bottle of whiskey was it Jameson? You were making I, I swear it was the elusive swimmer on tour, elusive needs whiskey and ginger beer. And I feel like that always makes me think that that's what you were making. That's probably what I was making, because at that time I was doing a lot of whiskey and ginger beer. And we I think me and you downed a whole bottle and tried to have a podcast interview. Yeah, I, I was telling you, and, and this would be people's first time hearing this, is like we couldn't use the last hour of it. So like, it, cause it, it spiraled into giggling <laughs> shit, talking nonsense at some point. I got to see if I still got that somewhere. Cause that was an amazing conversation, but it wasn't fit for either one of us to share with, with, with folks at the time, but we definitely got to do this again. Cause uh, it's a bunch of shit. I always want to pick your brain about man. Awesome to see everything you're doing. If people haven't heard Haram, go do that immediately. It looks like you'll have a bunch of opportunities to see Woods or Armand Hammer around the country. 
soon so be on the lookout thank you sir all right peace peace Stony Island Audio.